We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. This thing on. See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bill's podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. Guys, it's our Week 10 preview, the Buffalo Bills against the New York Jets. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard, the place, the Meadowland Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. The weather, it's going to be sunny and 51 degrees, which seems wrong for this time of year, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah. It seems a little hot for November, the 51. Spread, the Bills are 13-point favorites, which is wild to me because it almost seems like they... Chris, did did they not? Was nobody else watching? Wait, did I? I thought that Vegas would have taken into account the fact that the Bills are the season over, right? Yeah. The Bills lost a game. <laughs> it's over. Why? Why are we too? Oh, wait. You mean maybe people who make money on sports and know what teams are good and make money off of that are a little more optimistic than some of our fellow fans, huh? Yeah. The crew for the game. Which, Chris, I always thought this was a throw-in. I never thought it was going to be a feature of the previews, including the referee crew. I just thought it would make us sound like we were being more thorough. Please tell me Tony Carrente's not. I never thought that it would come to a point where knowing what official is going to call your game would actually be noteworthy. And yet, here we are. Is it Tony Carrente? No, it's someone named Scott Novak, who I don't know. Hopefully... He's not another guy who will require a musician-themed curse because <laughs> I'm I'm running low on them. And who do we have on the call for the game? Jay Feely will be the game oh, analyst no. on play-by-play. Spiro Didis. There it is. Our boy Spiro. Bring it to me. <laughs> Folks, I don't need to tell you. The Bills fan base is in an awful fucking place this week. Uh, you, we just lost to a one-win team, and everybody's, what, what, the sky's falling? We're all dead. We're just waiting for the comment. This felt, Chris, this week on Bill's Twitter has felt like what I imagine it would feel like in the movie Deep Impact. When you know the comment's coming. Never heard of it. You know, Of course you haven't. You know everybody's going to die. 
You're like, well, the oceans are going to overflow. A whole bunch of people are going to get killed. Cities are going to get put underwater. Bah. Nah, nothing matters. That's that's. I feel like that's how our fan base reacted to this loss. It's one fucking game, Chris. One win or loss can't win win you a Super Bowl. It can't cost you a Super Bowl. I don't know what the hell we're talking about here. Former Bills offensive guard Wyatt Teller was trending a day or two ago amongst fans as he signs an extension with the Browns, and people are just angry that they're like, look it. We suck at guard, and this guy's good. <sighs> they just scream into the ether. I don't understand. They don't get a gave up on him way too early. Everybody on the offensive side of the ball is under fire. But in 2021, if there's a cure for what ails you, it seems to be playing the New York Jets. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so here to help us break down this matchup of epic proportions. No, I mean, I, I mean it, though. This is this really is. There's a lot hinging on this for Bills fans. Is Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. How are you, sir? Hey, Drew. There's actually going to be a decent amount riding on for the Jets, too. Not so much in terms of like what the Bills are aiming for, which is going to playoffs and win the division and all that stuff. It's more that it looks like, as we're talking right now, Mike White is most likely going to be the one that plays because it appears that he's in better health than Zach Wilson right now. So, obviously, you know the drill here. Like, there's, I want to say, a quarterback controversy because there probably isn't one with the people who matter. But with some of the fans, there's a bit of a quarterback controversy. So, this will be an interesting game for both teams, although obviously much higher implications for you guys, especially with unexpectedly now a little bit of a slide on your end and the Patriots now this close to to catching you. You hit the nail on the head there. For those of you, I know who you are. I see the download numbers from one show to the next, and I know where you're coming from geographically because Blue Wire hooks us up with that information. I know that there's some of you who don't tune in to our AFC East Roundup podcast. You're missing out because Scott is our weekly guest, he is the founder of the Play Like a Jet network of content. He, him and his crew are doing a great job over there of bringing their own brand of Jets coverage. And he's been kind of a WWF jobber for us for the last year and change. <laughs> as, his, as he comes onto the show, he takes punches, he, but he does a great job of talking about the game of football with us. It, it, he's one of the, I think, one of the most qualified people to have a conversation like this with. And you hit the nail on the head by starting the conversation about quarterbacks because that's where I want to start. When we look at the offensive side of the football for the New York Jets, coming into this game, I, I don't know what to say. And I want to know more about the philosophy from your fan base's perspective because you've got this quarterback carousel that's kind of taken place and what looks to be like potentially the makings of a legitimate controversy. I mean, when you look at this, Zach Wilson was just drafted in the, what, he was the second overall pick, I believe, or third in the draft? Second, yeah. He has the lowest QBR and completion percentage on the roster. Are there any of the natives getting restless that maybe the of the two rookies, Mike White might actually be the one who deserves more playing time? Or, in the eyes of your fan base, is this still Zach's team? 
Well, in fairness, I mean, Mike White's technically not a rookie. He's been in the league since 2018. This is his first opportunity. Yeah, he's old as shit. Yeah, he's 26. Yeah, he's 26. This is his first opportunity to actually play in games. But this is really what I think the story is. So far, Mike White has not been perfect. And and this is something that Luke Grant, the Thunder from Down Under, who does great work for us over to play like a jet, he loves to point out. He'll say Mike White has been much better than anybody could have expected, but if you watch the tape and you pay close attention, he's still making a fair amount of mistakes. I mean, he had a couple of interceptions. There were a couple that probably should have been pick sixes that were dropped. So it's not like White hasn't had his share of of luck here, too. But I think what really has gotten Jets fans behind White, in addition to the fact that it's just always cool to root for a Cinderella story, is that... Zach Wilson, other than that Tennessee game, has been very, very up and down, and, and, and there have been some really tough moments to watch. That game against the Patriots was, was really, really rough that first game when he threw four interceptions in his first ten pass attempts, two interceptions in his first two throws. And to be fair, that second one wasn't really his fault, but either way, the point is he – He's been doing what a lot of these rookies do when they first get started and making a lot of mistakes, and and it's been costing the Jets a lot. And the biggest problem is that we hadn't seen much out of an offense that we thought was going to be much improved. But when Mike White came in, all of a sudden the offense started to click. It started to move. And a lot of it was because Mike White was doing very simple things. He wasn't throwing deep down the field. The one time he did go down the field in the first game that he started, he threw well over the head of a wide-open Elijah Moore. Ended up being a penalty anyway. But the point is, it was mostly short thinking dunk stuff, but it was working. And it was working against the Colts, too, before he ended up getting hurt and having to come out and Josh Johnson came in. Yes. So the question becomes, are the Jets just a more effective offense with Mike White right now? Or, look, one of the other things that we've, that has been discussed is that Mike LaFleur was on the sideline for the first bunch of games. The Mike White start, the first one, that was the first game that he was up in the booth, and an offense looked much, much different. So maybe there's something to that. Now, listen, maybe listen, Jack Wilson Jets, sitting. Jets fans can try to say that that's no, nothing. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Jets fans can try to say that that's nothing. Buffalo Bills fans listening to this podcast know damn well. That Brian, oh, yeah. Brian Dable got sequestered to the booth at one point during the 2019 yeah. football season. And when that happened, you saw a marked improvement. Now, whether that was because it felt like a banishment and maybe he just, I don't know, maybe he dug a little bit deeper because he felt like, hey, I've been kicked out of the place I used to operate. Or if it's because having that vantage point, being in the booth, getting to see how the defense is aligning, having those 10 to 15 seconds before the, the communications cut off with your quarterback to really say, okay, here's, here's the personnel on the field that I see. Here's what it looks like they're setting up as. So let's do this X, Y, and Z. You're never going to see that from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. So maybe there is something to this. Now, over on our AFC's Roundup show, we have beat the shit out of your offensive coordinator over the course of the last month and a half. Right. And then he comes out and, to your point, produces a a more than 400-yard passing effort by Mike White. Here's what I'll say, and I've aggregated some statistics just to illustrate the difference between the two. Because you're saying the offense looked better. And I want everyone to understand that when I read these two things off, when I read these numbers off to you, both quarterbacks have had the exact same 2.4 seconds to throw which indicates that the play calling and protection are probably pretty similar, except for the dynamic of that your offensive coordinator's gone upstairs. With the same offensive line that Wilson was playing behind, the pressure percentage for White is nearly half that of Wilson. 30.7 for Wilson compared to 17.6 for White, which indicates that he's at least identifying pressure as it's building and getting rid of the football quickly before rushers can get home. And for anyone who's wondering, they were blitzed by opponents at a nearly identical rate. White's been blitzed nine times in each game. Wilson, 8.5. Now, that number for White is kind of extrapolated out if he had played the whole game. So the blitz rate against them was the same. It's just White makes quicker decisions. He gets the ball out faster. And, to your, and to your point, that's probably the key to this offense. Your running backs now are all of a sudden a factor in the passing game. 
And against the Cincinnati Bengals, when they racked up 400 passing yards, they did a lot of the damage because the Cincinnati defense came out and kind of played this, hey, we're going to take away the deep stuff. We're going to give you everything underneath. And your running back said, fine, if you're going to give us the underneath stuff, we're going to catch it, run, and then punch you in the mouth when we get there. It was the worst possible game plan against... It was like a game of rock, paper, scissors, and they just kept going rock. <laughs> and so you guys just kept throwing right. paper at them. Yeah, more or less. Yep. And That's then, exactly what happened. And it's funny because with the Bills this week, Drew, I think the interesting thing is when they played the Colts, now again, we didn't get to fully see this because Mike White got hurt in the first quarter, but, but the Colts are terrible at defending what Mike White did well against the Bengals. And so uh, he had really good success before he came out of that game early. The question that we had is what happens when Mike White goes up against a team that's had time to watch his film, that knows what he's going to do with this underneath stuff, and is prepared to deal with it. And so that's the question now with the Bills, because if the Bills basically say, all right, we're going to take away the short and underneath stuff, we're going to stack the box and make sure Michael Carter can't really be that big of a weapon against us, and now we're going to force you to go over the top and go down the field, that's when we're really going to see what Mike White is made of because if the Bills are able to effectively take away that short stuff, then we're going to find out what, what Mike White can really do because well, true. the Bengals were clearly caught off guard. We know the Colts were not equipped to deal with what White does, did well against the Bengals. And so now I got to imagine that, you know, the Bills have two really strong defensive minds there, McDermott and Frazier. So you have to think that they're gonna, that's going to be their strategy. So how does Mike White react to that? And the thing is, I think a lot of people, there's been a bit of a split. There's been people that are saying, oh, I'm intrigued to see what Wilson can do now that he's sat for two weeks and seen this. And now that LaFleur is up in the booth, maybe he's realized, like you said, that the key to this offense is getting the ball out quick because – a hundred percent. That is a big reason why White has been successful in the limited action he's had is because he's getting the ball out quick. He's making those decisions and he's not, he's basically, I mean, I hate saying this because it's such a cliche, but he's giving what the deep, uh, taking what the defense gives him. So if Wilson comes in and, and plays with this offense that has looked much better with the floor and the booth and all that, does he all of a sudden start doing more of that? And then eventually that opens up the stuff that he loves to do, you know, going downfield and all that. Or does White come in there and, and show you more than we've seen against the Bengals and the Colts, and it turns out he's better than we expected? And then maybe you sit there and say, okay, maybe there's something to this quarterback controversy, at least short-term, because I don't think anybody thinks long-term that Zach Wilson isn't the guy. But, but ultimately what this comes down to for the Bills, I think, Drew, is if White is the guy that plays, and like I said, as of now, as of this discussion, it looks like he probably will be. There, I can't imagine that those two guys who are very smart defensive minds won't scheme to take away what they saw White do well in those first two games. Now, so that's really the key here. And I know you said this on my show as well. Well, for sure. And so I guess this is the question. When I look at the skill players for you guys, Corey Davis is a guy who really the reason he's relevant in the NFL is because of his acumen downfield. He leads wide receivers, or at least he was highly thought of last year in regards to making contested catches, contested catches off play action. I feel like they brought him in assuming that was going to be kind of a staple of the offense, and then he hasn't really gotten going to the degree I think they thought he would, and much of that comes back to the quarterback situation we just talked about. So if, if we kind of build out from the quarterback, because that's one of the things Sean McDermott does really well, is he these young quarterbacks, he makes them go out and win the game by trying to take away everybody else. You know, you, even in our loss to Jacksonville last week, you saw Trevor Lawrence, oh, he had, what, 118 yards passing for the game? And uh, 57% completion percentage. That's a byproduct of a scheme that's essentially saying, look, there is, we're not going to let them beat us. You're going to have to make a lot of perfect throws. You're going to have to get really ballsy. You're going to have to throw into some high, some high traffic areas where there's, and we're going to test you constantly to see how, how you respond to that. So with that in mind, it's going to be on these skill players. Now, when I look at the Jets, this is our first look at them this year. 
Corey Davis in this offense has been kind of marginalized, but one of the players I'm really interested in is Elijah Moore. Last week, we were missing slot corner Teron Johnson, and I feel like even though they don't have enough skill players to really hurt us, but I think a better team with a more athletic group of wide receivers probably could have done some real damage, given the way our offense just couldn't punch back. When I look at this Jets skill position group, I'm I'm seeing a, a bunch of wide receivers who should be playing better than they are, or at least should have better numbers than they are. Now, again, a lot of this probably has to do with the quarterbacks, but if we get a quality quarterback performance, who is the most dangerous of these wide receivers? I think you'd have to say it is Elijah Moore at this point. I mean, Jamison Crowder is all reliable. You know, when he's in there, he, all he does is get open and make plays. But what we've seen from Elijah Moore is he's been getting open consistently now. And it's funny because when you looked at the tape the first few weeks, what you notice is that he was getting open a ton. And I think it was PFF had that stat about how often he was open. It's just the quarterbacks weren't seeing him. And I guess in this case, when I say quarterbacks, I'm talking about Zach Wilson because he was the only one that was there for the first few weeks. Well, with Mike White, all of a sudden now Elijah Moore gets that touchdown uh, two weeks ago in that big win against the Bengals. And then he had two touchdowns this past week. Uh, you know, Josh Johnson found him, and, and he's been getting open, and we all knew what he's capable of. I mean, if you watched him at Ole Miss, if you watched, uh, or, or I should say, talked to the people that watched him at training camp that were raving about him, the thing about Elijah Moore is people think of him as a slot, but he hasn't been playing in the slot the last couple of weeks, and he's been doing a lot of damage. He's got uh, this just really tough-to-deal-with combination of speed hands and excellent route running now you know this if you want to be a productive receiver in the nfl you need at least one separation tool like one really good separation tool so that might be speed that might be route running that might be size that might be the ability to make contested catches whatever it is there's always that at least one separation tool that you're that you're going to rely on well the thing about elijah moore is he's got three excellent separation tools his hands his um his speed and his route running so we've started to really see that the last couple weeks the funny thing is Corey davis who was supposed to be the big offseason signing and certainly he's had his moments as you said he struggled with drops that's been a problem in the last two weeks when he didn't play the offense looked a lot better now i'm not trying to say that's because Corey davis didn't play but it is interesting keelan cole's been sort of sneaky he hasn't been great but he's made some pretty solid catches Denzel Mims, who started to get in there a little bit more the last couple of weeks. Unfortunately, he's going to miss this game. He's on the COVID reserve list, so he's not going to be playing in this game. Which is disappointing to me. Well, before we move on, let's let's stay here for a second. What the hell is going on with Denzel Mims? Your team has found a way to marginalize a guy that Bills Mafia was raving about in the pre-draft process that I myself was kind of high on, and I said, okay, Denzel Mims sounds like, I mean, we talked to Brett Coleman, Chris about wide receivers and he said hey this this guy oh, yeah. Denzel Mims Brett I think he's going to be I Brett think he's going to be a stud in the NFL because he has all these tools you're talking about separation tools he's got some speed he's got size he's got catch radius and he's got a level of competitiveness in the route that a lot of NFL DBs with his size are going to struggle with if he hones it to you know, to the right degree and yet, the Jets aren't even giving him the ability to hone his craft at this point. And so, how did he fall so starkly out of favor? I mean, I know he's not going to play this weekend. I just don't understand this. And I think part of it just speaks to the coaching staff itself. I want to know more about how did this kid find his way into the doghouse? There's been a lot of talk about this. Some people have said that it goes back to when he missed a lot of camp early on with food poisoning and he never really caught up. Some people have said he's had trouble learning the playbook, which to me is kind of silly because you don't have to be a master of the playbook to, for somebody to find ways to use you properly. Uh, there are other people that have said the coaching staff just doesn't like him. There could be stuff behind the scenes. I mean, there's been whispers that he's uh, what you would say a little bit of an oddball, so maybe that plays into it. I'm not entirely sure. There's still not a ton of clarity on it, but it is really strange. A lot of Jets fans saw what Mims could do last year 
in a really rough offense in a, with a really bad quarterback situation, and we're very um, bullish about what he could do this year. And he just hasn't been given a ton of opportunities. Now, the last two weeks, he got more opportunities than he has. I know he had, he had a couple of drops the last couple of games when he's had the opportunity, so now maybe he's putting a little too much pressure on himself because he's thinking, okay, now I'm finally getting my shot and he's overthinking it. I don't know. Uh, but it's just been a very, very strange situation. No, it has been. But so to your point, you guys do have some talent. Elijah Moore is probably the most talented, and you can tell that he's getting better. He's He, kind of like a lot of these other rookies, are finding their way. And... I'm looking at the Jets, and I you, you mentioned Corey Davis, not you know how he was the prize offseason acquisition. He's got a 57.1 percent catch percentage. That's just two points better than rookie Elijah Moore. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's a byproduct of the offensive scheme, but I think it shows you like one of these players has some chops and he's getting better because he struggled with drops early on, admittedly, and he's gotten much better in that regard. And you've got this guy that you thought had been around long enough that he could be your veteran presence, and that hasn't presented itself. And then when I look at the format of your offense, there's a thing I see when I look... One of the first things I like to do when I'm scouting an opposing offense, I go and I look at how many first down catches does a player have. It's telling to me that right now, outside of Corey Davis who only has 16 first down catches. Michael Carter and Ty Johnson, who are both running backs, are second and third in that regard. They're outpacing Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore, Tyler Croft, Denzel Mims. Everybody who you thought could be a difference maker on this offense. Even Jamison Crowder, the old reliable. Is this primarily just a play the offense within a 15-yard box style of game? I mean, that's what it, it, it was the last couple of weeks, obviously. Um, you know, Michael Carter, two weeks ago, had one of the best dual threat, or as Luke Grant likes to say, triple threat, because he's a really good um, uh, blitz pickup artist as well. Um, a, real, a really strong triple threat game. Uh, he had almost 100 yards receiving, over 70 yards rushing. So you want to talk about all purpose, that was the deal. Him and, and, and Ty Johnson have been utilized a lot in the last two weeks. But I, but I think that, that this is really – what you're seeing is that the offense at its best is kind of like we said, that quick strike, quick decision offense. And so when you when you do things like that, you're not necessarily going to be going deep as much. I mean, Zach Wilson tried to – had varying degrees of success. The last two weeks it really hasn't been the bread and butter of the offense. So I, I, I think that you know that makes Michael Carter – and Ty Johnson all the more valuable, and then obviously guys that can get open in the in the short to intermediate range, Jamison Crowder being one of them, and obviously we've seen what Elijah Moore's done the last couple of weeks. That really ups the ante with those guys as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's where the strength of this offense appears to be right now because when Wilson was going deep and taking shots, it wasn't working out as well, you know, other than the Tennessee game. But when they've done this quick strike, quick decision offense, they've been far more productive. The last two weeks, now to be fair, against Indianapolis, they were getting absolutely smashed. So the Colts probably took their foot off the gas pedal a little. But even so, even when the Jets weren't necessarily scoring points, they were moving the ball consistently, which is something they hadn't done for the first few weeks. So I think that we're going to see what White can do here, and I'm curious when Wilson comes back what he does. But I think mixing in those deep shots once in a while to keep the defense honest, but relying on that quick strike, quick decision offense is probably going to be their ticket forward. So switching gears the defense. I it watching the Thursday night football game was painful last week for your defense. I mean, over 500 total yards. Like One of the most damning statistics is if you take out the long 78-yard touchdown run, like when we played Tennessee and we took out Derrick Henry's 76-yard touchdown run, the Bills held him to 3.5 yards per carry, which is one of his lowest totals of the season. And at the same time, if you did that for Jonathan Taylor against the Jets, he still averaged 5.2. Which is which is kind of indicative of how the day went. 
Now, for I feel like this game represents a change in philosophy for the Bills attack because what feels like for months our keys to victory segment has been that the a staple of it has been that the Bills should attack the opponent's linebackers in coverage because typically they're the weakest link in their coverage units. But this week, that kind of gets flipped on its head because it's the cornerback group for the Jets that's really taken a beating lately. And coming into the season, the cornerbacks were without a, I, I want to say, a big name in the room. And we talked about this over on the AFC's Roundup show about how they kind of went with this group of athletic but kind of unheralded players to flesh out the secondary. And as the early goings of the season went on, you would tell us about how you were pleasantly surprised by how they were competing even if you didn't like the end results. Now you're coming up against a wide receiver core like Buffalo's. I, the Colts aren't exactly a prolific passing attack, but they essentially set your cornerbacks on fire and scattered the ashes. You're, you're starting cornerbacks. Uh, what is it? Uh, Eccles, Carter, and Bryce Hall. 13 targets, yep. 12 completions, 9 first downs allowed in coverage. Your safety is allowed 30, 33 yards after the catch per man. They really set your secondary on fire, and this is Carson Wentz, and essentially a group of weapons in the offensive passing game. Chris, the Colts don't have any star wideouts. No, with TJ T.Y. Hilton on the on the IR, I don't know that they have Michael anyone. Pittman's pretty good. Oh, Michael Pitt, Michael Pittman's he's, pretty good. He's he's pretty good. Is he a Stephon Diggs though? Is he no, no, is no. he Emmanuel Sanders good? Maybe. You could make the argument he's younger, he's a little bit bigger. Is he Cole Beasley good? Uh, we have th- we have three guys. Maybe four if they ever figured out where the fuck Gabe Davis was. Like I feel like if we could find him ever, he's he's he is our Ferris Bueller on offense. But nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless I look at that and I say to myself, your cornerbacks got roasted in this last game. But then I take a look at the front seven and I say, well, they're going up against one of the NFL's better offensive lines and they were able to generate no pressure. Six hurries, one sack, seven pressures. How much of that last result is a byproduct of the... And maybe some of these other results we've seen over the course of the season where your secondary just gets beat up by teams. How much of it is that the front seven can't get home and how much of it is just that these guys aren't great in coverage? I mean, honestly, it's funny that you read those numbers off because the reality is, with the exception of the Bengals game, where for whatever reason, Zach Taylor, I don't know what he was even doing strategy-wise, if you looked at what the Patriots did and then you looked at what the Colts did, screens and draws, screens and draws, screens and draws, screens and draws, over and over and over. You talked about Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor ate them alive. The Patriots ate them alive with screens and draws over and over. I think... If I'm the Bills, that's something that I'm I'm really going to take advantage of. Um, we we talked about that injury at tight end, which will hurt the Bills certainly. But they did they do have that kid who came in as a replacement, caught a touchdown the week before, right? I forget his name now. You would know. Um, he's somebody that I, I would think they'll utilize. I, I gotta imagine. I know that Moss has struggled. And, and Singletary has been productive, but, you know, that run, running game isn't as good, perhaps, as, uh, you know, John, what, the, what the Colts have with Jonathan Taylor. But I think if, if you really do a lot of that, the Jets have shown that they have a ton of trouble finding ways to deal with it. And we heard after the bye week when the Jets got annihilated the way that they did that they weren't going to let a performance like what happened against the Patriots happened again where they gave up 54 points. Well, congratulations. They gave up 45 instead of 54, but it was the same old story. They just got gashed and gashed and gashed and gashed and gashed. I, if I'm the Bills, I'm using that formula, and I'm going to keep doing it until the Jets find a way to stop it. Now, that doesn't mean that if Higgs is getting open or Beasley's getting open or whatever, but we know Beasley can get open in the short and intermediate areas, so He's fine in this regard, too. That doesn't mean that if guys aren't getting open downfield, you don't test the ball downfield. But I'm just saying, I think the Bills can just keep doing what the Patriots did and keep doing what the Colts did. That seems to be the script that you follow if you want to dominate the Jets. And look, 100 points in a two-week span. Now, you know, if we take away that Bengals game, 
those two teams, that's a lot of what they did. 100 points between them. I mean, to me, like I said, if I'm the Bills, I come out, and that's what I'm doing. And until you stop me, I'm just going to keep doing it to you. They couldn't stop the Colts. They couldn't stop the Patriots. I see no reason why they'd be able to stop the Bills. Well, I, I do. I see one. And it comes down to the defensive interior of the Jets line against our interior offensive line. I mean, when you look at what the Colts are, they're one of the better offensive lines in football when they're healthy. And they're just about there, which I think explains why you guys had such a hard time getting any real pressure on Wentz. The reality is that our interior offensive line, Chris, I don't even know if there's a word. What's a word you would use to describe it at this point? Oh, pathetic. Pathetic. (laughs) It's not great. It's going to be much more generous. I mean, here's what we're throwing on the field. It's a pretty dubious group of pass protectors. Uh, You've got Cody Ford, a player who, before his benching a few weeks ago, was one of the worst pass protecting or run blocking offensive linemen in the entire NFL. Not just to the eyes, but also by the analytics. And also, he's the type of guy who literally I saw leaving the chop house in downtown Buffalo. He showed up to a white linen suit and tie like you have to you have to at least be a nice a, steakhouse, a nice steakhouse where you have to at least be wearing a coat. He showed up in a T-shirt and uh, sweatpants. It tells me everything. I, I'm, I'm not shocked that he's struggling, right? He's struggling with life. Ike Bakker. He's the epitome of mediocre. He's not... Chris, he's probably not going to get you killed every week, considering that in two games with significant snaps against weak opponents, Houston and Miami, he's only allowed two pressures and no snaps. But he gives you nothing in terms of run blocking. You're constantly looking for more from this guy, and he can't deliver. He's just walking around empty-handed. Just, I'm here. You look like you have something to say. I do, you know... We could be trotting out Dawkins at left tackle, Morse in the middle, Spencer Brown at right tackle, and then a guard combination of Spain and Tetler. That could have happened. God. See? What? And then- See? This is what the Jets... <laughs> Urban Meyer, I'll, I, I've hated, I hated the man already. I'll see him in hell for this. He did this to me. That would be a hell of a wall for Allen. It'd be better than the one they had in Germany. <laughs> Oh, no. Ah! Berlin Wall joke, ladies Jesus and Christ, ladies and gentlemen. Chris coming in from left field, just lobbing a haymaker. And outside of, it's an RKO out of nowhere. It's an RKO out of nowhere for sure. <laughs> and then Jamil Douglas. Okay, now I made fun of this guy during our offseason podcasting because I never thought he would I never thought he would make the roster. And because before Cody Ford set the record for lo- well, actually no, the record has been reset. I have to correct myself. This week, uh, Mance Gregory Mance for the uh, Miami Dolphins had a four point four pass blocking grade. That's the lowest in PFF history. Then Cody Ford is second behind him, and Jamil Douglas is third behind them. Jamil Douglas is the man who held the worst and almost got then-quarterback Marcus Mariota murdered on Thursday Night Football. And now there's a possibility that Cody Ford and Jamil Douglas might both be on the field together! <laughs> I feel like Frank Costanza when I start talking about this stuff because I just I start shaking my hands and I start getting sweaty behind the ears and I just want to grab something and choke it. I, Serenity now! Serenity, Serenity now! now. <laughs> That is exactly what's happening over here. So when I look at this matchup, how equipped do you think at this point in the season the Jets' interior defensive line is to dispatch with an interior line for the Bills that you're talking about draws, you're talking about screen passes, that may not be able to matriculate if that group does its job well. well the Jets' defensive line, the interior, has is one of the better units that they have. It's one of the better ones in the league when they're playing at their best, but like you said, against the Colts, they had trouble. Uh, the Patriots obviously still did what they needed to do. Uh, Quinn and Williams, we know what he's capable of. One of the best in the league. John Franklin Myers, obviously a really strong player at his position, just got a big contract extension. Foley Fadakasi, one of the best run stuffers on the interior in the league. So they've got the horses there, but 
they've been a bit erratic. Uh, again, when you're allowing 100 points to two opponents, it, you know, it, it's hard to really sit back and, and have a whole lot of praise. And you read off the numbers for what happened against the Colts. Now, look, the Colts are a better offensive line than the Bills by leaps and bounds. I think we can agree on that. But if the Bills can do at least a respectable job, who knows? I mean, the thing the thing that I would say is that if I'm the Bills, like I said, I would be getting the ball out quick with street screens and draws and just seeing how that plays out because the Jets have had so much trouble defending it. I think the Bills have decent enough personnel to be productive with it. And if that works early on, you know, why move away from it until it stops working? Uh, now, obviously, if the offensive line can't get holes for the running backs on the draws, and if Allen is getting sacked before he can even let a screen set up, then that's a different story. And look, it's certainly possible. Like I said, uh, Franklin Myers and, and Williams are a really good combo, and Fada Kasi is, is good at blowing up running plays. But look, with the Patriots and the, the Colts, for as good as those guys were, they're just they weren't able to make any sort of market difference. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. And, and ultimately, that might be the key to what the Bills are able to do on offense. If, if the offensive line can at least be decent enough to allow Allen to set up those screens and, 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 and do draws with, um, you know, give, give some space for the draws with Moss and, uh, and Singletary, then the Bills should be pretty productive. If not, then it might be a little harder for them than expected. And look, you know, nine to six, right? It wasn't a lot of scoring in that game against the Jackson, the Jaguars. So I guess anything's possible. Uh, it's just, it's really interesting because I, I still think on paper, this one looks like a potential blowout for the bills, but, but this could be the X factor that. And on the other side of the ball, if Mike white is able to combat what I assume McDermott and Frazier are going to have waiting for him, which is selling out everything to stop the short stuff. So, so it's going to be a really fascinating chess match, and, and I'm curious to see how this works out. This could either be a much closer game than people expect, or we could be looking at a game where it's halftime and I'm looking to go home and beat the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Dude, thank you so much for taking time out of your... Look, folks, this is what I love about Scott. He's a warrior. He's literally on vacation with his wife right now, but took time out of that to talk to us idiots. I, we love this guy. He's a pro's pro. Where can people find you on social, and where can they find your work over at uh, Play Like a Jet? Well, first of all, always a pleasure to talk to you guys. This is almost like a vacation for me talking to you guys because it's like audio therapy. I think we all kind of bounce stuff off of each other. And like you said, I'm, I guess you could call me the Brooklyn Brawler or the uh, Barry Horowitz of the podcast, but it's always in, in good fun, and so I'm, I'm always thrilled to come on. It's nice to be on the main podcast today. I feel like I, I got bumped up from the minors to the majors today. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, you can find me. I do Jets podcasts seven days a week, which is probably why I'm slowly but surely going, getting closer and closer to living in an insane asylum. Um, we, we do film, uh, The Thunder From Down Under, Luke Grant, who also does our YouTube videos on our YouTube channel, which you should subscribe to. Check out The Enemy, as they say. See what the Jets are doing so you know what you're in for, not only this Sunday, but in the rematch later in the season. I got seven days a week of, of shows. Luke comes on, does the film. We do the midweek news and notes with the very big deal, Chris Nimbley of Jets and Top. Normally, Tim Jenkins. want to break down Zach Wilson, but obviously he hasn't been doing that the last couple of weeks. So instead, we've been leaning on some other stuff. Brian Bassett and his friends do a show. Brian Bassett is, as far as I'm aware, the first person to actually do a Jets podcast. It was over a decade ago that he was doing it. So he... he we, we're able to get him to come back and do a show once a week with his buddies, Travis Milton and Josh Conrad. We do the pregame report. Walter Cherpinski at WalterFootball.com comes on and gives his betting tips. Chris Nimbley comes back on, and we do the over-unders, the last-minute news and notes, the injuries, so you kind of have a good idea of what you want to do in terms of prop bets for that day because, let's be honest, when it comes to Sunday, everybody wants to know how they can make a few bucks betting. And then you, you look at the rest of the week, and we just basically give you fresh content every single day. 
It never fails. You check your iTunes feed or wherever you download podcasts, and you'll see a brand new episode. You can get it on uh, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Apple, all that stuff. Anywhere that you can download podcasts, you can follow me on Twitter at Play Like a Jet One. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, and also I would like to throw out there that I, I am very honored to have been on an episode where Chris, in very Chris fashion, was able to RKO Drew out of nowhere the same way that Randy Orton's wife RKO'd him out of nowhere on a beach on that famous viral video. So, fellas, as always, a pleasure being with you and look forward to talking to you on the AFC East Roundup next week. So it'll be interesting. We'll see what happens. Uh, but it, uh, on paper, the Bills should kick the crap out of the Jets. But as uh, Chris Berman likes to say, that's why they play the games. Scott Mason, you go follow him on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. Always appreciate him coming on the show, even though he's in Nashville on vacation with his wife. Chris, we're just magnetic personalities. That's it. That's all I can say. All right. It's the only reason that people show up and listen to this nonsense, right? Yeah. Well, we better give the people what they want, which is the keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. My first key to victory is something we touched on with Scott when we talked about the quarterback play. Our linebackers and safeties in the box. One of the things that frustrated me against Jacksonville was seeing that there were... We did hem them in pretty nicely. I mean, Chris, Lawrence had 118 yards passing. Yeah. That that, that smells like good defense to me, right? Yeah. It, okay. It's good defense. Okay. He at least tried to uncork a few deep ones. This is an offense that's predicated on dinking and dunking its way down the field, which is kind of when you look at when you look at it statistically. When I break down, like I go back to that Cincinnati win and the average depth of target. Jameson Crowder, right? He only had a few receptions, two first downs. His average depth of target was six yards, which means he's catching most of his passes and having to having to get yardage after the fact to get the to convert those first downs. Um, what? Uh, Tyler Croft had 9.5 downfield. That's it. The most targeted wide receivers on their team had an average depth of target. Michael Carter was 0.1, which tells you that every single throw his way, all of his 14 targets against Cincy when their offense was good, was a screen pass or a swing pass or something behind the line of scrimmage. Elijah Moore, 5.7. Keelan Cole, 6.8. Braxton Berrios, five. When you look at the players who made the biggest difference, look at Ty Johnson, the other running back for the Jets, 71 yards receiving, a touchdown receiving, negative 1.2 negative one point two was his average depth per target. Their entire offense with Mike White at the helm is going to be predicated on short passes, passes behind the line of scrimmage, and trusting the vision of these running backs in space. Who do you think is better equipped to handle that than Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, Micah Hyde, and Jordan Poyer? Uh, Maybe Daryl Talley, Shane Conlon in their prime. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. But that's about it. And that's why this is this is where the matchup gets decided in terms of our defense's ability to just shut them down completely on offense. Yeah, they might be able to get a few here and there. You know, everybody does. It's the NFL. You're going to get a few passes downfield that get open. But their offense with Mike White at the helm hasn't proven it can take the lid off a of defense. He doesn't throw a great deep ball, but he does a good job of distributing quickly to his underneath targets when he knows they're going to be open and pressure's coming. This could be a game, Chris, where you don't blitz, right? Almost like a, I dare say it, almost like the same game plan that you would employ against Lamar Jackson. Where, look, I'm trying to simulate pressure because I don't want to give you all day to throw, but I want you dishing the ball off so I can rally tackle because I know that my linebacking core and secondary are great at that. I think that that, the ability of the Bills defense to do that well and take away this short passing offense and make them try to stretch the field is going to be where we win and lose this football game. Another place that I think that we have to look at in this matchup is something we just finished talking about, the interior offensive line against the Jets' defensive tackles. This has got to be a rebound game for Bobby Johnson. Has to. Can't have anything else. He has to get these guys. I get it, your backups, 
You have to be able to fucking communicate. And if you can't, then you don't belong on an NFL football field. It's Bobby Johnson's job to get our players there. And so in that way, I need to see that whoever they decide to trot out to man the other sides of Mitch Morse has their shit together enough to be able to know, hey, two free rushers on one play is a bad idea. And then Josh Allen. But it's not Josh Allen, hey, he needs to play better. No. Josh Allen minus the hero? Josh Allen needs to be put in a position by this football team to feel confident that they can deliver for him. Because otherwise, he's not going to just sit there and dink and dunk his way to a loss. That's not his DNA. He's literally going to try to move a rock uphill. He's going to try to be Atlas and lift the world. He's going to do whatever he has to do to not lose. It's the rest of our team's responsibility to figure out how to not make him feel like he's the only one doing the lifting. Now, I don't know what the hell they do to achieve that. But if they can't get that down, Chris, I have no idea how, I have no idea what degree of wrong this game could go, but it has every opportunity to. I just don't want him to, to see Josh Allen throw another ball like he did to Josh Allen. Like, that's, that's the epitome of hero ball. Yeah, 100%. Just take the sack. 100%. They better not put him in that position again. Guys, it's going to be interesting to see how this one unfolds. I can't wait to see it. Hopefully this is the get-right game that we all, players, team, the, the, the team in the standings, the fan base, everybody so sorely needs. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger. And this is your Week 10 Preview. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.